Hi, we're still in the book of Genesis. I'm going into chapter two today. And in this passage, we will see that God is a finisher. God finishes what he starts. Not only does God finish, God also provides exactly what we need. Come on in and let's discover what's going on in chapter two. Let's go. Hey, I'm still continuing the study of Genesis. Y'all, this book is amazing and I encourage you to go back because, hey, it's the beginning. That's where everything starts. So in my last episode, I talked from chapter one. I'm going to go into chapter two today. And what we see here is that the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. That's verse number one. And then verse number two says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work and God blessed, verse number three, the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had been doing or that he had done. So, I mean, what does that say? It says God finishes whatever he starts. Now, I don't know if the day was like our 24-hour day. I don't know. that With God, time is irrelevant with him because he is time. Time is a limitation and restriction for man, a boundary and a border, but not for God. But when he finished it, the seventh day, you know, he rested, he rested. God works and then God rests. That, I mean, that should be a formula for us as people because what we're created in God's image and likeness. That's what the Bible tells me that when we work, we need to find time for rest as well. And it needs to be a pleasurable rest, y'all. I'm talking about not that worry thing that you call rest, that you sit down and you just let your mind wander and think about all this. That's not resting. Uh Uh-uh. That's being frustrated while you're not doing anything, but no rest. Um, This not because God was tired that he rested. No, God doesn't grow tired. This was, I'm pleased at what I've done. And so he settled down. He stopped doing because the work was complete. Now we got to recognize too that God, you know, he never grows weary. He never struggles. Um, and he is never troubled. Y'all this verse in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 is, you know, it speaks loudly and it's something that we should hear too. Listen to the words. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Yeah, yeah, y'all just might as well accept God for who he is and what he does because, you know, his ways are so far above ours, right? We may not completely understand it all, but we can trust trust that whatever he does, he does for our good and our benefit. So just by looking at those first
first three verses, what is an application that we can take from that? We can take from that that we need to be finishers, that when we start a work, do the work. And then not only just do the work, have a good attitude associated with the work that you do. And then take pleasure in the work, enjoyment in the work. It does not give indication in the creation story at all that God was irritated by the creation. It, it does not say that, you know, God got upset during the creation process and decided that, you know what, uh, I'm just tired. I'm not going to do this. No, God took pleasure and we have evidence of it because after every day's work, God looked at it and said it was good. Can you do that? Will you be able to do that? Will you, will you look at the work that you did today and say, oh, okay, it was good. Or will you be able to say, no, I didn't give my best today. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a, a, a better go tomorrow. <laughs> I know, hey, listen, when I was working, look, I had some good days where those days were productive and those days were pleasurable. I left work feeling good. But y'all, there were many days, I'm telling you, that I did not think the work was pleasurable. As a matter of fact, I probably owed that job some work that day because I didn't do uh, what I probably should have done. But that's not the attitude we're to have, right? We're in God's image and it would bring about for us better work a life if we would approach work with a better attitude, if we can find pleasure in the work we're doing and at the end of the day say it's good and then take a rest. All right. So that's what we see. So we're praying that, you know, God will help us to have pleasure in the work that we're doing and to not despise the work. Now, I know some of those jobs out there y'all got yeah, they're not the most exciting and they make you frustrated because some of the people and this, that, and the other. But we've got to remember, like as the New Testament says, I, I believe it's in Colossians, I'm not sure right now, but do all your work as if you were doing it unto the Lord. Let me check that out really quick. Yeah, I was right. It's Colossians, the third chapter, verse number 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Okay, that will take us a long way. Now, as we continue in Genesis chapter two, we find beginning in, in verse number four is the account of Adam and Eve. This chapter really tells us what is happening from God's perspective. It's his view or his interaction with his creation. Now, what we see in verses four through seven is that the Lord forms the man. Listen, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, you know, nothing had grown upon it yet. Um, it says there were no plants in the field. Um, the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man. Now, see, when there was nothing, you know, even though God has spoke all these things, um, they, there wasn't anything there yet. He spoke it. It was coming. 
And see, that's just something we got. When God speaks, it's coming. You may not see it right away, but you better bet it's coming. All you got to do is look around in the world you are in today. All of this, the trees, the grass, the vegetation, what you see, God called that into existence in chapter one of Genesis. And that was so long ago. That was at the beginning. So whatever God says is going to come to pass. And you may not see it readily when the word comes to you, but just wait on it. What Habakkuk said, he says, write the vision and make it plain. And he says, though it, you know, tarry, he say, wait for it because it's coming. It's coming. That's a word for somebody. So look, so God forms the man out of the ground. That's what verse number seven said. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And man, the man became a living being. Now, you know, we're talking about God. We're talking about the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You will see different variations of the Lord's name spelled throughout the Bible. And when it's all capitalized, it's talking about Yahweh, y'all. It's talking about God, Jehovah, Jireh. That's who we're talking about. So he formed the man from the dust. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. I was asked, where did Adam get his name? Well, you know, God, God called Adam, Adam. He had to, even though the Bible doesn't say. Now the Hebrew word for man is Adam, which is related to a Hebrew word for ground. So yeah, we're just going to leave that there. Now get this, God formed a body, but the body was lifeless until God breathed in it. When God put his breath into that form called man, that body, then it became alive. It became a living being. Now I want you to notice the distinction here. The body was formed from the earth, but not the soul. The soul came from the breath of God. When God breathed into the man, that's when they became a living being or a living soul. And so once God did that, that's when men became in his image and likeness. You remember that? You remember that in Genesis chapter one, verse number 27, or he says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God created us and we became in his image when his breath became in us. Now, body and soul, they were separate. Now, the body came from the soil. Again, the soul came from God. Read about it in Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter and the seventh verse. And the dust returns to the ground from which it came and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You know, this is, this is something good. I want y'all to think about this breath, right? Because you can be a breathing individual, but not really have the life that God wants you to have. God breathed into the form, the man that he made out of the ground and he um, uh, became a living soul. 
Sorry, there got kind of distracted for a moment. The man became a living soul. If we go over to the New Testament, we see Jesus. Oh my goodness. Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You can find that y'all in John 20 verses 22 through 23. Now the breath that Jesus gives is the Holy Spirit. If you read your Bible, you will know that in Acts, um, they are promised the Holy Spirit, but they have to wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And they do. 120 of Jesus's followers are in a room. And when the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing mighty wind, you know, the wind of God, the Ruah of God comes and lands on the disciples in the room and they begin to speak in other languages. We know about that. But Jesus gives it prior to the infilling. He gives this instruction. He breathes on them. He breathes on them the breath of life. He breathes on them the new life. It is the spirit of God that empowers us to do God's will on this earth. And so Jesus came and in his three years of ministry, he started a work. And he wants his disciples when he leaves and departs and goes back to his father to continue the work. But they can't do the work without the power of God. Okay, look at God. He really cares that we live the kind of life that he wants us to live in the empowering or empowerment of his Holy Spirit. Listen, without the Holy Spirit's authority and work and permission in our lives, y'all, we cannot do effective work for the kingdom of God. No, it's not sustaining and it's not lasting. But get this, we have been authorized to carry and minister the good news so that people can know that their sins are forgiven. If we don't tell the people the sins are forgiven, they will never know. Now they got a responsibility, you know, to hear that, accept that, believe that, repent, and then start a new way of life. Now let's get back to Genesis. Y'all, this is what I'm saying about Genesis. When you read it and you really begin to study it and allow the word to saturate in your thoughts and mind, you'll and minds, you will see that there are other passages throughout the Bible that will come to your mind. You know, it will come to your uh, remembrance. Now, if you're not reading and studying the Bible or you're not reading the Bible, please read it, read it, read it. So you will know what these ministers and these teachers and evangelists, prophets, pastors, podcasters, that what they're saying to you is actually from the word of God. Let's go to verses eight and nine. It says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now God had made a place for the man. And there he put all kinds of good things that were considered food for the man. 
And also there were the trees, one, the tree of life, and the other, the tree of knowledge and of good and evil. And y'all, we will talk more about this in, a, in the uh, next podcast. Now, he had a prepared place for the man. He made the place before he made the man and put him in there to work it. Now he put him there, verses 15 through 17 tells us that he put him there to work it, to take care of it. And then this is where God gives a command to the man. He tells him, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. That's verse number 16 in chapter two, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now God put the man in this place and gave him provision. Okay. If God is setting you up for a place or putting you in a place, he going to provide for that place. You don't have to worry about where your provisions are coming from. God has and will supply abundantly whatever you need. Look at the passage again. God said that any tree in the garden you could eat from. I don't know how many trees were in that garden, but there was only one that God restricted them. So he gave them more than enough to satisfy their need, okay? But he put a limitation and he said, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat from it. For when, not if, but when you eat of it, you will surely die. That just indicates to me, and y'all, that's the new international version. Your version might read it uh, slightly differently, but it indicates to me that God already knew that the people would eat from it, yet he gave them the command anyway, because he wanted them, you know, he wanted them to live. That's really what he wanted them to do. And God wanted them to know that there's a consequence uh, for defying him and disobeying him. So look at this. So God notices, let's go over to verse number 18. He says that it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Y'all better listen to God's word. God says it's not good for you men to be alone, okay? But he says, I will make a, not many, but a suitable helper for him. He didn't say he he was going to make many, 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 many wives for y'all or any other kind of connection. Anyway, y'all, let me get on to it. Of all of the wonderful things God created, all of the food, the beautiful surroundings, he knew that these were not enough to just satisfy the man or to gratify the man. So God knew what the man needed. So God supplied it. So what he does in verse 19 is he brings all of the beasts of the field and the birds of the air that he had formed to Adam to see what he would name them. Now, Adam looked at all of them and he named them and God observed that Adam did not call any of the beasts of the fields or the creatures that he had made after himself. He did not say that they were like him, but God noticed what he called them and realized that none of those were suitable helpers for the man. Now y'all, God knew that from the beginning, but he just wanted to see what the man would say. Now all these people doing this bestiality stuff, hmm, that ain't right. That ain't of God. Yes, that's what I said. 
said. He did not make the man, the man for the animal or the animal for the man. No, he did not, period. Here we go. Let's go to verses 21 through 25. And so here what we see is God then um, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. He gave him some anesthesia, y'all, before it was even created or founded by man. God caused the man to go to sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Now, that's what the Bible said. Some translations say out of the side, you know, he took from the man. That's the bottom line. He took from the man, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. What what did he make? He made a woman, okay? A woman, that's what the word says. And for y'all don't know what a woman is, that's what a woman is. God made, made her differently from the man, but from the man. Anyway, let me get back to the passage. He made a woman, God did, from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So God did with this woman the same thing he did with the beast of the field. He brought the uh, beast of the field to the man to see what he would call it. And now he brings the woman without saying, here, Adam, here's your wife. No, he didn't say that. And so some of y'all going out there talking about God say, this is your wife. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I can't say. But the record says in the beginning is that he brought the woman before the man to see what the man would call her. All right. So here we go. So the Bible says, the man said, this is verse number 23. This is now bone of my bone, meaning she looked like him. Okay, she she represented him in some kind of manner. This is now flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. So look at God. God is the one here, you know, who brought this man. And Adam and Adam now sees the suitable mate for him. It's interesting that God does not create another man. He creates a woman who has distinct and different features, but is in the likeness of man and also the likeness of God. Let's go to verse 24, 25. I don't want to get stuck in there because I can feel some other stuff coming up in my spirit, y'all. <laughs> anyway, it says in verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. It says the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Listen, I got to put, you know, some, some points here for you and let you see the importance of what God has said in these particular passage through Moses who wrote this. When a man, God really does. Let me, let me, let me rephrase this. God is the one that institutes marriage, marriage being oneness. Now, when the man and a woman unite when a man and a woman come together they are coming together as one no longer two but one i know in this culture that we live in you know we don't want to hear that we still want to maintain our independence i do believe that we have identity as people but we are a unit. We got to come together. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And oftentimes in marriages, the reason we have so much discord, disunion and divorce is because we neglect to come together and agree. 
God wants us to be one. Now note this, they said, and I mean, the word says that they were both naked and they felt no shame. Y'all, all this is speaking to is that there were no secrets between them. There was nothing to hide. They were not embarrassed about anything. Everything was out in the open. They were, they were not uh, covering anything at that time. They were just they were just out there. That's the, best. That's the best way that I can say it. And they felt no shame. There was beauty in their bodies, uh, but their bodies wasn't the focal point in their relationship. God was the focal point of their relationship. They had intimacy with one another, but they also had intimacy or closeness, if you will, with God. And they were in the presence of God. This was a union made by God, lived in his presence. And that's how our marriages should be. I'm going to stop right there because, um, there's so much more that can be said, but I want to go into chapter three, which will be our next podcast. Y'all, this passage, this book of Genesis is something you should read, read it, study it, study it because there are gems and there is um, life in the words of God, particularly in this beginning. So, you know, what can we take from those passages, those passages four through 25? What we can do is take that, you know, God has created us to live in his presence. He wants fellowship with us. God wants us also to know that he gives us good things and he gives us a plenty of it. Uh, but he has placed some restriction but that restriction is not the thing that should be elevated. He gives you so much more. And when he places restrictions, it's for our good and not for our detriment. God has created us, this word says, for rest. It has create, he has created us to work, right? He wants us to fellowship and he wants us to have uh, unity within our relationship with one another, particularly husband and wife. And he doesn't want there to be cover-ups or secrets. He wants us to be united and to share with one another, right? He created the man and the woman and they were one in relationship with one another. Lord, I thank you so much for this word in Genesis chapter two. Help us to remember that you've created us, Lord, to work, but you've also created us to rest. You've created us, Father God, to have relationship with you and not to be alone either. So you have created us for relationship with one another. Also implemented and created the institution of marriage. And you created marriage to be a oneness between a man and a woman. And Father God, we pray today that that's what we follow. All right, y'all. I pray that you are blessed today and that you won't forget that a daily dose of God's word is good for the soul. Be blessed.